Hey, it's Alan Carter. Here's what's on the podcast today. Vaccines! Oh, yeah, baby! Woo! Let's get to it. Oh, baby, that is some good, good news for today. Is it not Health Canada? Given the blue check mark, I'm sure it's not blue. But it's some kind of a check mark right there beside the Pfizer vaccine. Pfizer for the win. Authorized by interim order. Here's the quote from Health Canada. The efficacy of the vaccine was established to be approximately 95%. The vaccine was well tolerated by participants and has no important safety concerns. Get the vaccine. Mm. Oh, my goodness. We are now the third country in the world to approve the COVID-19 vaccine. We're number three. Give us the bronze. We're still on the podium, people. On the podium. That's where it counts. Do you know who was first and second? Obviously, you probably know UK was number one because yesterday we saw an incredible video of the very first patient to get the COVID-19 vaccine, a 90-year-old grandmother. The second, of course, a guy named William Shakespeare. So that adds up. Number two on the country list, Bahrain. Bahrain. That's an important one. Just keep that in mind. That'll come up in trivia later somewhere. Somebody will ask you. We're number three. Canada, number three. (laughs) Woo! Yes. Uh, Let me just read you this. Possible side effects, because I think it's important to know this. This is also from Health Canada. Reminder again, common side effects do not pose a risk to health. The side effects that follow the vaccine administration and clinical trials were mild or moderate. They included things like body chills. Come here and give me a hug. I'm feeling chilled. I got the vaccine. You can hug me now. Feeling tired. That's the way I feel all the time. Feeling feverish. And also pain at the injection site. Ow! Again, these are common side effects. And Health Canada goes on to say, as with all vaccines, there is a chance that there will be a serious side effect. But these are rare. A serious side effect might be something like an allergic reaction. So if you potentially would have allergies to this kind of thing, allergy to a flu shot, then that's a concern. So... Wow, how about that? Here's a statement from Premier Doug Ford. This is phenomenal news for all Canadians as we take the next step forward towards ending this pandemic. As soon as vaccines arrive on Ontario soil, we will be ready to deliver and administer them. That is Doug Ford with a statement today about how exciting it is that the vaccines are on the way. And then once the vaccines get here, and we start jabbing people in the arm, and we get into 2021, and people are having the vaccines, you know what the next thing's going to be? You're going to go out, you're going to go do something, and somebody's going to say, papers, please. Papers. I'm sorry. Do you have your passport? you got to be kidding me. Doug, you know you can't come in here unless you have a vaccine passport. This is what the Minister of Health of this province said about vaccine passports yesterday. 
that's going to be really important for people to have for travel purposes, perhaps for work purposes, for going to theaters or cinemas or any other places where people will be in closer physical contact uh, when we get through the worst of the pandemic. So yes, yeah, that will be essential for people to have that. I'm sorry. Um, do you have the authorization to listen to this radio program? I can't. I'm sorry. You can't. No. Can I see your papers, please? I don't understand that. Papers! Let's see your documentation. That's what's coming our way, folks. No two ways about it. Coming up on the radio program, we're going to talk to Civil Liberties about that. Canada Civil Liberties, Michael Bryant, joining me coming up as we talk about the vaccine passport and later on in the program, your opportunity to weigh in. Now that this thing has got the green light, let's get back to it. You're going to roll up your sleeve? Hmm? Okay, let's move to something I, I want to tell you about. This is something that's not in the news, but I think you need to know about it because it is spicy. That's a spicy meatball. Yeah, this is a spicy story. And it has to do with the progressive conservative party in this province and a potential real big rift that is all about what's going on in Thornhill. So let me tell you about this, because indeed, it is a spicy meatball. a spicy meatball. Yes. Thank you, Homer. So Thornhill is represented federally, federally by Peter Kent. Uh, Peter Kent, formerly a news anchor here at Global News, uh, and of course was a minister in the Harper government, uh, and regardless of what you think of uh, the politics of the Harper government or Peter Kent in particular, he's just the nicest guy. I had an opportunity to work with him for many years, uh, and I actually have his ladder. This is no word of a lie. Peter Kent, uh, when he was here, was an executive here and an anchor here for many years. Uh, he heard for some reason that I was having trouble uh, with my roof, and, he, and I didn't have a ladder. And he said, I got a ladder at my house. Just come, I don't need it anymore. Come get it. you got to be kidding yeah. me. So in my, in my house for many years, if you needed to get up on the roof, you'd just say, uh, get the Peter Kent. Just climb Peter Kent. I'm just going just gonna to climb up here on the Peter Kent to the, get to the roof. But that's neither here nor there. Peter Kent has resigned, which means now there is an opening to run for the federal conservatives and try and win that. And we have two, count them, two candidates from the progressive conservative party who want to now be the conservative, federal conservative nominee for Thorn Hill. And this is where it gets a bit spicy. Because one is Gila Marto, and she is the current MPP, the provincial representative in Thorn Hill. And she has said, yeah, I want to run for that. I'm going to put my, my hat is into the ring. The other is Melissa Lanceman, who was a, an advisor to Doug Ford, She's a commentator, she's a political strategist, a real mover and shaker, and she has got a lot of the PC cabinet even saying, no, no, that's my candidate right there, Melissa. Meanwhile, Gila has her own supporters within the Ford government. And this is where we get a little spicy because this was in... Queen's Park Today, Sabrina Nanji reporting this. Two PC insiders telling Queen's Park Today that 
uh, Gila Martel has now announced that she is not going to run again provincially. Because this gets a little complicated, but you know, if you if you want to run federally, you know, are you going to be the in you know be able to hold on to your job just in case you don't get the nomination? Well, she's announced now that she's not going to run federally, and here's the quote. Uh, from Queen's Park today. Two PC insiders telling Queen's Park today that the reason Marto is planning her exit from the party has to do with a falling out she's had with Premier Doug Ford. Quote, she was told she couldn't come back, said one source who requested anonymity. You know what that is. That's a spicy meatball. <laughs> spicy. So uh, here's why you need to pay attention to this one. I know it seems like this is politically in the weeds, but it has an uh, it has the potential here to put a real rift within the Ford caucus. Gila Marto, like she uh, won a by-election. By the way, she won after Peter Sherman, who, as you may know, is a guest host on this radio station. Peter Sherman was the MPP for Thornhill, and he ran afoul of former leader Tim Hudak and got booted. Uh, and Gila Marto came in uh, and won that and has been the MPP for Thornhill since then. I will tell you that Peter Sherman is supporting Gila Marto, and apparently he sent out uh, some kind of an email blast over the weekend, and in the email blast he confirmed that Gila was not going to be you know, re- running again Provincially, if she didn't get the federal nomination, and this is prior to Gila actually making the announcement, so (laughs) way to break some news, Peter. Way to go. But again, I tell you about this because this this has the potential here, you know, for some backroom squabbling. And I don't know about you, but I love that kind of stuff. And we get to peel back the curtain a little bit and see what's going on in the party because it looks like they are headed for a nasty fight as the Thornhill Riding Association tries to pick its conservative nominee for the next election, which, you know, could come spring, fall next year. Who's it going to be? Gila Marto? Or will it be Melissa Lansman? And will it cause a rift in the Ontario party. The big news, of course, today is the approval of the Pfizer vaccine. It has been approved by Health Canada. Health Canada holding a press conference as we speak. And a number of questions. The first question was about about potential allergic reactions after the reports in the UK of a couple of adverse reactions. People had allergic reactions to the vaccine. We'll try and get you more updates on that. And also a warning from Health Canada, or rather from the federal government, not Health Canada, but from the federal government, that the first supplies of the vaccine, it's good news, obviously it's been approved, but the first supplies will be very limited and that we will not see a significant amount of the vaccine likely until the spring. So tamp down your expectations. But once we do start getting the vaccine in some kind of numbers and, you know, some kind of doses that we can actually start getting to people, the next thing is going to be, how do you prove that you've had it? How do you, how do you say? And here comes the vaccine passport. And the Minister of Health for this province, Christine Elliott, was asked about this yesterday. Here's what she had to say. I'll play this again because I think it is so important. Here's, uh, again, Christine Elliott 
the Deputy Premier and Minister of Health talking about some kind of vaccine passport for Ontarians. That's going to be really important for people to have for travel purposes, perhaps for work purposes, for going to theatres or cinemas or any other places where people will be in closer physical contact uh, when we get through the worst of the pandemic. So, yes, that will be essential for people to have that. I'm sorry, sir. I know you have a ticket for Wonder Woman 1984, but I need to see your vaccine passport. I'm sorry. You can't come in unless you have a vaccine passport. Uh, That is weak. Well, that is what some people are arguing. Like, how is it possible that we're going to enforce that thing? Is it constitutional? Is it what? How how do you actually do that? We have vaccine cards for kids going into schools. You know, they have to have vaccines to be able to go to school. And we have that little yellow card for your kids. What does it mean for you and COVID-19? Michael Bryant is with the Canadian Civil Liberties Association and joins me. Hi, Michael. How are you? Do you have a passport? How do you feel about this whole passport idea? No, no. Uh, You know, I will get the vaccine, uh, but I shouldn't uh, have a a special privilege once I get the vaccine over somebody who cannot get the vaccine for uh, whatever reason, um, because then we would be damning them for their disability. We We don't have a polio or measles or... Uh, mumps uh, immunity passport. The whole point of the uh, vaccination is that the whole society is going to change the the curve as as it is, and the pandemic goes away. Uh, the The risk here is that you end up discriminating against people because it will be the most vulnerable who get burned in the event of a of an immunity passport. Well, why, why would you say that? Because the rollout plan indicates that the most vulnerable will get the vaccine first. Uh, you know, it depends on your definition of vulnerable. If you mean, you know, senior citizens, uh, yeah. But um, homeless, mentally ill, uh, people for whom uh, English is not their first language will uh, inevitably be the last group of people who will just be able to get an immunity passport. They may be immunized, but they won't get the immunity passport. Also, there is this period of time in which there would be a a double barrel discrimination. So I I get that we need to have doctors and nurses immunized first because they're the ones, you know, providing the inoculation. But, you know, let's face it, there are a lot of people a lot less privileged than doctors and nurses. So should, should we really have special access to all services for the privileged, but no access for those who are not privileged. It doesn't, it's not necessary. And it also violates people's privacy. It means basically, if you don't have one of these passports, you've got a big COVID scarlet letter that you're carrying around. And that's none of people's business. It discriminates, it violates their privacy, it violates their liberty. It is a terrible idea. I, I see all of the points that you're making. Let me let me flip it on its head for a moment here, because what you're really suggesting here is that we shouldn't reopen the economy or gather or do anything until everybody is immunized, until we reach uh, herd immunity where we can safely reopen everything. I think if I'm a business owner, I think if I am, you know, operating travel, if I am a, a 
server in a restaurant. I, I think my perspective is going to be different on when we reopen and we allow people to congregate. And even if it's not perfect, a vaccine passport will allow that to happen. Yeah, so this is uh, going to uh, come down to what uh, services and institutions would require immunization. And, you know, you mentioned public schools. Well, that makes sense. Uh, I mentioned healthcare providers. That makes sense. Uh, but then beyond that, uh, to make uh, choices about who we're going to identify as safe and unsafe is just a very dangerous business. I'm not actually saying that you don't open it up until every until the curve is all but gone I, that that i'm not that's really not my my point and that's also not my business really i mean our expertise at canadian civil liberties association is rights not when to uh, open up businesses that's uh, but, but let me just interrupt and say that, yeah. that that but that is i mean that's part and parcel with it i mean i i don't think you can look at one side of that without looking at the other the reopening of the economy is integral to you know how we go forward and public health is key to that well one uh, the, the truth is that the opening up of the uh, of all the services and businesses is is going to turn on real data right uh, with respect that that we that we currently use so you know the restrictions go up when we get information about increased infections that's how it works so the opening up is going to happen when the infections go down and uh, i'm not it's not i don't i don't believe i understand what you're saying but i don't believe it's going to be an all or nothing proposition i think it's going to be a gradual reopening and that yes immunity passports might require more patients. How much more? Well, let's let's try and figure that out. But I think that the that the harm done through immunity passports uh, is uh, makes for a society uh, that ought to be a little more patient, a lot more patient. Well, that that's that's a big question. But if this just comes down to a matter of weeks. And that's the difference between the immunity passport and no immunity passport. Then, you know, we have to make a decision about how seriously we take human rights in this country. Let me ask it this way. Let, let's play it out this way, that there's no, you know, widespread reopening. You know, it, even though the musing of the, the health minister there about, you know, you might need a passport to go into a movie theater. Let's just assume that... You know, movie theaters are just not allowed to reopen until we get to a point where we're pretty close to herd immunity. Then don't we get into a situation where those that decline the vaccine for, you know, for any number of reasons that people decline vaccines, that there should be some sort of indication that, okay, well, you know, you haven't taken this vaccine and, and there's a, you know, there's a consequence for that in terms of public health and public gathering. Don't, don't you believe that there is some room there? Uh, no, because I, there, there's a judgment there, a presumption that, it, in fact, it is a, a free and open choice that somebody doesn't uh, get vaccinated. We, we just heard from the United Kingdom uh, chief medical officer who said, if you're prone to allergic reactions, 
if you've ever if you've got a peanut allergy, for example, then you should not be getting this vaccine. Well, should we really be uh, discriminating against people who can't get inoculated? And the difference between can't and won't is not something that you're going to be able to do and and resolve in 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 any mass function through any process that's rushed. I think instead the way to do it is you bake in the human rights protections at the front end and you try to figure out a way to manage these issues as they arise. And and the the reality is as with wearing of masks where you know if you can't wear a mask for some reason uh, you don't have to under the law. The reality is, is there, there's such um, exceptional cases. I mean, I've never been in a store myself. I live in a big city in Toronto. Uh, I've never seen anybody in any store without without a mask on. And so I just presume that they're, these are all people who can wear masks. Just like we've, we manage the mask issue indoors, obviously with exceptions uh, that, that, that get onto the show, but aren't really part of our day-to-day lives. In the same way, we'll be able to manage this. Uh, we just need to do it in a way that complies with the Constitution, because uh, I think that's the way our country ought to work. Michael, fascinating conversation. There's a lot to think about and a lot to unpack on this day that Health Canada has approved the Pfizer vaccine. Michael, always great to have you on the show. Thanks again. Thank you very much. That is Michael Bryant, head of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. What was the last time you um, Googled yourself? Come on, you know you do it. You know you do. You know you just open up Google every once in a while, just throw your name in there and just see like what comes up. And you know like the predictive test, text that they have on Google where you start to type in a question and then it, it finishes it for you? Well, I, I, I love doing that. I just like sometimes just putting in, you know, uh, how does, and, and just see what comes up. Well, uh, Google, I, and by the way, this is, when, when I talk about Googling yourself, this I love this. If I put my name, if I put Alan Carter into Google, uh, uh, it immediately, the predictive text is, this is the first one that comes right up. Uh, is Alan Carter of Global TV married? That's the you first question. To be kidding me. <laughs> which, which I always think is great, because I'm, I'm just hoping in my mind that the reason people are Googling that is because they're thinking, well, that guy is, he's all that in a bag of chips. Let me find out what that's all about. By the way, the answer is yes, I am married. So you can stop Googling that. But we have new details on the things that we Googled in 2020. What are the things that we searched for most this year? Christina Peck is a Google Trends expert and joins me on the line. Christina, hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. When was the last time you Googled your own name? <laughs> I mean, I think people come to Google for a magnitude of reasons. <laughs> come on. Narcissism is the number one. You know that. <laughs> I think people are coming for a lot of different things these days. You know, you mentioned we actually looked at the year in search trends. We did. We looked at what was trending um, throughout 2020. And it's been a different kind of year for us. It's not one that any of us expected. It's been pretty unpredictable. So there's a lot of great uh, search trends to talk about today. 
All right, let's get with the uh, searches because I know you've broken it down in a bunch of different ways. When we begin with searches, I think I'm a little surprised here in some ways what's number one and what's number two. I, I would have picked one and two. I just don't know if I would have picked them in this order. Yeah, so that number one spot is U.S. election. You know, we've seen time over time when there is a big political moment happening in the U.S. that Canadians are dialed in. So it's not as unusual as you would expect to see this in the number one place. We've seen spikes throughout the year um, searched with U.S. political moments. So things like the debates, we've seen um, surges in searches around Election Day and the days to follow as Canadians, along with the rest of the world, anxiously awaited those results. In that second spot is coronavirus. And again, coronavirus and COVID-19 both have seen spikes throughout the entire year. It first started late January, and then we saw a significant increase uh, towards the end of March as cases started to rise in Canada. When it comes to coronavirus, Canadians are really searching for authoritative information. So things like the latest updates, you know, what are the symptoms of COVID-19? How many number of cases are in Canada or elsewhere? Okay, so and just to run down that uh, top, uh, well, I'll give you the what is the top five U.S. election number one, number two coronavirus, number three Kobe Bryant, number four Zoom. In other words, you know how to operate it, how not to get uh, Jeffrey Tubend, uh, and the Raptors in the fifth spot. Let's move to people because here's your top searches for people, and this one, I think this one was also a surprise to me, the number one spot here. Yeah, number one is Kim Jong-un, and, you know, he spiked a couple of times this year. So we saw a big spike from Canadians searching him early on in April when he had dropped from public view and really caused worldwide speculation as to why and where he was. More recently, we actually saw him spike again in November. And then in the second spot, I think this makes more sense. Yeah, second is Joe Biden. He was also number nine on our top searches, so it's not surprising to see him so high up on top people. We also have Kamala Harris in third. So, again, seeing that U.S. political moment really come through in Canadians being dialed in, it was also just a really remarkable year for Kamala. She was the first woman and woman of color to be elected vice president, and Canadians have a special connection to her. She lived in Montreal with her mom at the age of 12, and her mom taught at McGill University. But if we run down the rest of the list, and we got you know Boris Johnson, Tom Hanks, Kanye West, as I picked through them, but Donald Trump isn't even on this list. How, how does that make sense? As I mentioned at the top, we're looking at top trending searches, so it's not necessarily most search. So it's a significant spike in searches from 2019. I see. So it's not that Canadians weren't you know searching in is Trump putting in that in a little box in Google. It's just that this is uh, your upward trend. Correct. It's the trending versus the most searched. I see. All right, let's move to uh, some uh, entertainment here. In terms of TV shows, I'm looking here for Global News at 5.30 and 6. Obviously, this is an omission here because you don't have that on your top search TV shows. (laughs) Another great show as well. What we saw (laughs) from an entertainment perspective, though, was really that actually binge-watching reached an all-time high in Canada as well as worldwide. So I think between people social distancing as well as being at home more because of the lockdowns, people were turning to entertainment. So when we look at the top list uh, for TV shows, Tiger King's number one. You know, I personally love this one. It was a little bit of a break and gave people a little bit more light content. 
Yeah, Tiger King number one and the Queen's Gambit uh, number two. Obviously, a show coming on late, uh, coming on strong late in the year. Uh, I want to move to memes. I'm all about the memes. When you say uh, top trending memes, what what do you mean in terms of like is that people searching out a meme or trying to understand what it is? What what, what do you exactly. how do you define that? Yeah, exactly that. So people searching it. So people coming to Google. You know, number one on the top memes list is also Tiger King memes. So people coming to Google search and typing in Tiger King memes. We also see quarantine memes. You know, we're seeing Among Us. Love is Blind also makes it. And then rounding out the list at number 10 is toilet paper memes. And that brings me right back to where I began, which is predictive text. What is... You know, if you put in what is or why are or anything like that, what was the top one for that in terms of that predictive test and what people were searching for? If we look at why, it's actually why are people buying toilet paper? And when we look at it's it's a great one. It's it's very indicative of the year we've had. This has been a conversation many times throughout the year. But if we actually look at searches, search trends, particularly for toilet paper, from this year over last year, we've seen toilet paper, the term, searched 50 times more. I see. And after we go under what, I see what is coronavirus right there, number one. That's your number one. Yeah. I don't know if I want to go to number two. I don't know. Number two, nope. what does WAP mean? Number two is, I think, a little bit of a fun one. So the Cardi B song that came out, yeah. again, people turning to entertainment <laughs> and then turning to Google to understand the acronym. <laughs> You should have a flag on that one. That one has, should have a have some kind of a parental warning right on that. Even just even putting that in Google should have a warning. There's definitely a radio edit version of that one. <laughs> ah, that is fantastic. Oh, all the Google things that we've searched this year. What a year it's been, Christina Peck. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. That is Christina Peck, who is a Google, Google pardon me, trends expert as Google uh, releases uh, trends and searches and all the things that we have searched for. And I know that you're what you're doing right now, aren't you? You're just you're you're picking up your mobile device, you're going over to your laptop and you're searching your own name, aren't you? You you know you are. That's the podcast for today. Remember the Alan Carter Show weekdays, starting at noon.